Welcome to the Highway Hi-Fi Podcast, where we go track by track through the underbelly of music history using research and trivia to locate the roots of our obsession with vinyl records. I'm Joe. And I'm Ryan. And congratulations, you found the internet's finest podcast for music. But you're going to have to wait until the chime rings. Ding! All right. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that didn't go as good as I planned. All right. Uh, <laughs> you plan you planned on that going well? Really? <laughs> uh, better than that. All right. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, I'm going to start us off with trivia today. You know more than I know. You know more than I know. You know more than I know. I couldn't decide on um, on. Uh, what to name this trivia so i've got two names all right one is uh i want to spelling be your lover and the next one is i would spell for you and so this is my prince spelling bee so i'm gonna name you a prince song and you need to spell it for me exactly like he does on the record sleeve okay we're gonna start off easy get off i think that that's just spelled like it should be g-e-t space o-f-f it's Prince. It's G-I-T? <laughs> nope. Huh? It's, uh, what is it? G-E-T-T-O-F-F. Oh, okay. 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 All right. All right. How about this one? Nothing compares to you. Okay. So nothing is the same as usual. N-O-T-H-I-N-G. Compare. C-O-M-P-A-R-E-S. The number two. The letter U. Very good. Very good. Okay. Okay. Next one. Until you're in my arms again. I have no idea what he would do differently with that. Until you're in my... Uh, is in just the letter N and everything else is nope, the same? No, nope. It is uh, okay. until's normal, your, okay. you, capital U, apostrophe R-E, and then in my arms again is normal. Okay. Okay. Super funky califragisexy? Oh, I knew you were going to do that one. <sighs> Are you kidding me? Uh, S-U-P-E-R... Say it again. Super funky, Cali, fragy, sexy. F U N K E E. I don't know. I don't know. It's, You're just putting that up there to try to make me look even sillier than typical than I than I normally do. Okay, it's all one. What is it's it? all one word. No spaces. <laughs> I knew that. I knew that part. S U P E R F U N K Y C A L I F R A G I S E X Y. Super funky, Cali fragile. That's not so bad, really. Yeah. Let's see. Let me give you. I got so many. Uh, how about this one? Shoebed O. What was that? Shoebed O. Okay. One word. S H O O B E D O E. Oh, so close, so close. Oh, it's a, okay. it's a three words connected connected by hyphens. It's S H O O hyphen B E D hyphen O O H. Oh, okay. Oh, ooh. You didn't, oh, I thought you said O at the end. It's ooh. Well, it depends, I okay, suppose. So, All right. I don't, okay, I don't know well, how you do I mean, it, if you, if you're, but I go O. If oh. you're not going to pronounce it correctly <laughs> in Georgia. <laughs> All right, just a couple more because this is hard. Okay. All right. Another lover hole in your head. <laughs> okay. Another is A-N-O-T-H-E-R, L-O-V, space L-O-V-E-R. H O L E, the letter N, Y R H E D. Oh, so close. There's no, th- really. It's all one word, of course. Okay. 
A-N-O-T-H-E-R-L-O-V-E-R-H-O-L-E-Y-O-H-E-A-D. Oh, I was close. You're okay. really, I like really that. close. Oh, man. All right. I'm going to give you one I think you're going to get. Tell me how you want to be done. T-E-L-L. I think I don't think that this is one word. This is not one word. It's not one word. T-E-L-L space M-E-H-O-W, the letter U, W-A-N-N-A, the letter B, (laughs) D-U-N. You had it. You had it. It's just just done. Done regular. D-O-N-E. Oh. Other than that, it was perfect. It was perfect. Oh man, I was so close. Okay, la- so last about one. It. Last one. This is this is one that is all one word. I'm gonna go ahead and give that to you. Okay. I have no idea how to pronounce this, so I'm just gonna do my best. That is okay. Why don't you show it to me and then I can? No, nope, no. Nope. <laughs> I'll tell you how to pronounce it. <laughs> Rip op got a zap zipper. Rip op got a zipper. R i p o p g o d a z i p p a. Absolutely, great job, Prince. Prince is spinning in his grave. Without, you made that one up though, right? No, that's a real song. And you, <laughs> out of all those, you decided to spell that one correctly. Exactly. Yep. yep. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, that's that's my quiz. I don't know what kind that's of quiz that, that is. That was fun. I liked it. Print spelling me. <laughs> okay, I have the audio quiz now. And what I would like to for you to do, I have five clips. I want you to name the artist, the song, and then I want to see if you can tell me the theme. And the theme is based on the album's that these songs are on the studio album. So uh, don't not not the live albums or best of okay. actual studio albums. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Track one. That's it. Uh, I, I assume you know know a couple yeah, of these at least. I got a few I got a few and I got a couple guesses. So Okay. And then just remember uh, what I'd like to have is what is the connection between all of them or what do they all have in com- common or what do their albums specifically have in common? Gosh. I'll... There's 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 a trait that the albums have that they all share. Okay. All right. Hopefully by the end of the show I will figure out what that trait is. Well, I think it is now time for Turntable Talk. Everybody's talking at me. I don't hear a word they're saying. Only the echoes of my mind. 
Recently, I spent some time trying to remember my earliest moments with vinyl records. As important as these discs have become in my adult life, I wondered when I started loving music and playing records. As foggy as everything is in my mind these days, several moments sprang to life. The first was holding the Star Wars soundtrack. The sinister but enthralling back cover with a translucent Darth Vader helmet speckled with stars and galaxy as John Williams' score soared out of the speakers perched on top of our entertainment cabinet. I think about the way my dad's amplifier lit up and hummed when he turned it on like he was firing up a space shuttle cockpit. And the Badfinger record that he played seemingly every weekend. There was a skip on the first track, and it's burned into my mind like it was part of the song intended by the band. And then there's a Fisher-Price portable phonograph player built in a durable yet clunky tan plastic suitcase with a 70s yellow-red-orange color scheme a grooved volume wheel, a thick slider knob that went from off to 45 to 33. And I wish I still had that. I remember sitting on my red shag carpet listening to the scratchy speaker's blare, and then I thought about what I was listening to, the weird childhood records that still haunt our memories. It was a story version of Peter and the Wolf. The famous tunes played under a mellifluous narrator and a boisterous, boisterous sound effects. I can visualize the cover, even though I don't have to in this information age. A snowy scene with the cartoon boy haplessly firing a pop gun while a terrified wolf scurries away. And in the corner, a logo of an impish face with dot cheeks and a giant smile and a weird hat impaled by a feather. It's the face that I've come to know as the symbol of kids' records. Today we are going to talk about growing up with the king of the children's music industry, Peter Pan Records. Children's music and recorded sound have gone merrily hand-in-hand hand since the origins of the technology itself. When Edward Leon Scott de Martinville first recorded words in 1860, he elected the French children's folk song, Au Clair de la Lune. Take a listen to the ghostly, creepy recording now. By 1888, some of the first recorded discs, called plates, consisted of classic Mother Goose nursery rhymes. Founding fathers of the recording industry, Edison, Berliner, and Victor, all had separate children's sections in their catalogs and collections. With the Tin Pan Alley explosion of published music, there were plenty of songs aimed at children to record and sell. During the 30s, the theme music for Disney cartoons and animated pictures, especially 1937 Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, really kicked open the door for record companies to make some serious scratch on kids' records. Most of the big players, RCA Victor, Decca, Capitol, and Columbia, were regularly publishing albums based on popular cartoons and nursery rhymes. And then, if that wasn't enough, there was the baby boom. But let's step back. In the 1920s, two brothers, Daniel and Louis Kaysen, started a thriving business as a plastic manufacturer of buttons for the garment industry and game parts for the toy industry called Synthetic Plastics Company. Following World War II, the brothers made two important discoveries. First, that the products aimed at children, dice, poker chips, toys, matches, were selling really well because, well, there are a lot of kids around. Second, they discovered their presses could easily be adapted to make phonograph records. In 1949, the brothers created a subsidiary of their plastics company that would eventually become the largest and most successful children's music label in the world, Peter Pan Records. Peter Pan Records released their first 7-inch Vinylite on March 25, 1948, 
and it sold for about 25 cents. The 78 RPM single combined children's songs with narrated musical stories and dubiously claimed on the label that the disc were non-breakable with normal use. Creating a specialty label focused only on children's music paid off quickly in the 1950s. They took advantage of the growing market with competitors who were only halfway interested in the kids' music industry. The earliest releases were primarily 78s featuring perennial kids' favorites, Old MacDonald's Farm, Little Red Riding Hood, Goldilocks and the Three Bears, and the Nine Billy Goats, Gruff. Many of these original 78s can be heard on the Great 78 Project, which we discussed in a previous Highway Hi-Fi show. Here is the, the Peter Pan 78 of All Around the Mulberry Bush. Here we go around the mulberry bush so early in the morning. This is the way we wash our clothes, wash our clothes, wash our clothes. This is the way we wash our clothes so early Monday morning. Wash, wash, up and down. This is the way we iron our clothes, iron our clothes, iron our clothes. This is the way we iron our clothes so early Tuesday morning. They had an in-house vocal group called the Carolers, who were also well-known for whimsical and completely now ingrained in our collective psyche versions of Christmas tunes, Frosty the Snowman being a biggie. Sometimes they would also have guest singers who were backed by a band called the Peter Pan Players or the Peter Pan Chorus and Orchestra. Whoever it was, they were selling a lot of recording, really without having to write much music or having to pay famous artists to, to sing it. The Cason brothers had a knack for marketing. Under the Peter Pan label, they created vast amounts of sub-labels. They released various records under Spinorama Records, Pirouette Records, Mother Goose Records, Ambassador Records, Clan Records, not what you think, Diplomat Records, Humpty Dumpty Records, and, last but not least, Rocking Horse Records. Some of these labels featured non-music artists, some featured knockoffs, and some featured examples of exotic genres. Still, the brothers found the real money was to be made in the children's music realm. As they grew, they expanded to release versions of their music on 45 RPM. They would make brightly colored plastic records. In the late 50s and 60s, they also began to incorporate more well-known characters into the music, including Mighty Mouse and Captain Kangaroo. Daniel Kaysen's son claimed, We were actually the first company to do books and recordings of licensed characters. We started out with the King features, Popeye, Betty Boop, and then we went on to some classic characters, the Peter Pans, if you will, Snow White, Cinderella, and the Gingerbread Man, etc. Additionally, they discovered that kids, or at least their parents, would more likely buy both records containing songs and records with stories or a combination of both when a book was included with them. In 1971, the aforementioned Peter and the Wolf, narrated by Victor Jory, the bad guy in Gone with the Wind, not counting the slave owners, was a perfect example of combining storytelling with music. Fred Flintstone got into the action in 1972 when Peter Pan created two spoken word records directly from Flintstone's cartoons. This was the first time for Peter Pan that a well-known modern character had been featured in an audio storybook. They began to regularly add fun, picture-heavy books with their records. Now, as the records spun, they would have your Peter Pan storyteller instructing you to turn the page of your book at the sound of a bell or the flip of a record to continue the adventure. Hello, girls and boys. I'm your Peter Pan storyteller. When you hear this sound, you turn the page. Now, let's read the story together. Here we go. Zaniness and hijinks were had by the likes of Bugs Bunny, Bozo the Clown, Scooby-Doo, and Casper the Friendly Ghost. They'd even get original voice actors to record their famous vocalizations. 
Both Mel Blanc and Casey Kasem contributed to their talents to Peter Pan Records. The record and book set was born, and a movement began. And it was a lucrative business until cassette tapes would come along a decade later and destroy yet another business. As Peter Pan started its phenomenal growth, Disney saw they needed to get into the action since they already had the built-in character and story recognition. In 1956, they started Disneyland Records, solely focused on pushing Disney-based kids' music, which was a direct competitor with Peter Pan. In 1965, Disney had pioneered a similar trend as they started a read-along series with the catchline, See the pictures, hear the record, read the book, in which Tinkerbell's chime lets you know it's time to turn the page. Disney, for its part, was to assemble some fantastic songwriters and performers who would create iconic soundtracks like Sherman and Sherman's The Jungle Book and Roger Miller's untouchable Robin Hood. In the mid-70s, Peter Pan made another adept move and combined two fantastically complimentary children's activities, reading comic books and listening to vinyl records. Power Records was a subsidiary label that made book and record sets featuring superhero favorites from both DC and Marvel universes, including Batman, Spider-Man, Superman, and Wonder Woman. They also created book and record sets for popular movie, television, monster, and sci-fi institutions. Star Trek, Space 1999, Conan the Barbarian, Planet of the Apes, The Six Dillion Mother Man, and, of course, Kojak. The sets would include a fully colored illustrated comic book with a 45 stuck in the back cover. A few LPs were even produced by Power Records, including a storybook for the original Star Trek The Motion Picture, complete with full-colored pics from the film, V'ger Never Looked So Good. This is the story of Star Trek The Motion Picture. You can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the communicator beep like this. Let's begin now. Space, the final frontier. These are the continuing voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Initially, Power just adapted existing comic stories, but soon wrote and released original comic books to accompany the, uh, the recorded tales. Most of Marvel were already published stories, but DC was almost all originals. All new Superman and Batman sagas for the insatiable fans. They even hired former artists like Neil Adams, so the comic stylistically was near identical. As you played the record and read the comic, the story would come to life with vocals, music, and sound effects. Here is the power record called Stacked Deck, featuring the Clown Prince of Crime and the Dark Knight themselves. Now watch your step, Robin. Don't trip on anything. Oops, I tripped, Batman. Look, it's a body. Yeah, it's a dead one. Look at his face, Robin. A ghoulish grin. Must be the night watchman. The Joker left another one of his calling cards. <laughs> Batman and Robin. You remembered my hideout, curse you. You'll never catch me this time. Here. <laughs> Have a blast. Quick, Robin. Get behind those cases. I'm going after the Joker. I'm going to give you a lesson in art, Joker. You're such an art lover. I'll show you the art of trumping a joker with a handful of clubs. Another cool thing is that Power Records would combine characters. So you might see Dr. Zaya standing next to Captain America on the inside flap of the comic. With the craziness and territorialism of licensing these days, we are not likely to see that again. 
The Power Records label was retired in 77, and, unwisely, Peter Pan Industries passed on Star Wars licensing, and eventually the branch of the action drama storybooks went out of business in the early 80s. Even today, the records are out of print, with only some dedicated fans and bloggers making digital copies available. Peter Pan, however, would continue, of course, to release regular children's music records, particularly holiday albums. One of their biggest sellers was Santa Claus is Coming to Town by the studio collective known as the Peppermint Candy Kids. It featured classics, original songs, and a guest spot from the big man himself, and of course, the missus. They knew their audience. In the late 70s and early 80s, they would continue to try to adapt by releasing more educationally-minded music from shows like Sesame Street and The Electric Company. Though not to be outdone by substance, Peter Pan's most recognizable product was the hip waterfowl, DJ Irwin, the Disco Duck, who hosted compilations of popular tunes geared toward the youth of America. The anthropomorphic creation steals from both the popularity of the novelty song Disco Duck and looks and sounds a lot like Donald Duck, but with long, luscious brown hair and groovy 1970s style, vest, bell-bottoms, platform shoes. When disco fell quickly out of style, Irwin changed his name to become the Dynamic Duck. Wise decision, Irwin. Here's a galactically funky Star Wars-inspired record from 1980 called Irwin Strikes Back. As most trends do, the viability of children's vinyl died quickly. They fought the good fight through the 80s, and eventually in the early 90s, Peter Pan Records and Peter Pan Industries branched off into the non-children's market, never land no more. The company is now called Inspired Studios and has a variety of different types of musical releases, including reggae, new age, Latin music, club and dance. The company is also currently working to restore music from its vaults to prepare for digital releases. So you might yet get to hear classics from your childhood at future record store days and probably on colored vinyl. Look out for those limited editions coming soon. With Peter Pan and assorted kids' records in general, other than the nostalgic value and limited collectability, it's hard to understand why they aren't totally forgotten. I should interject that the Power Records comic and Star Trek record books can fetch some good money, and of course, there is the notably sought-after non-Peter Pan release, the E.T. audiobook and soundtrack, narrated by Michael Jackson and produced by Quincy Jones. It's kind of an interesting story. It was released by MCA the same month that Thriller was released on Epic. They also put out a promo single for the song, Someone in the Dark. Epic was not at all happy about this, uh, especially because they'd already had a legal agreement in place. So they did what most record companies do, and they sued. MCA pulled the record and was prohibited with ever working with MJ again, but uh, the record did really well considering it had a truncated life. Uh, it charted and it won a Grammy. Okay, so that's a little off topic, but all this to say, these records aren't especially valuable or collectible, or in most cases even listenable. However, the storybooks made quite an impact on hip-hop artists, and they've been a deep vein of sampling sources. For starters, they're cheap and accessible. The crates on the ground were so full of unloved storybook records that they were ripe for plucking crazy samples and sick beats. Ghetto Boys, Eminem, Esoteric, 
MF Doom, have prominently used record power record samples in their music. Prince Paul, later of De La Soul and the Handsome Boy Modeling School, was one of the first producers to integrate the comic sounds with rap beats when he used snippets of 1974's The Amazing Spider-Man, Bells of Doom, on the 1988 Stetsasonic Cut. The Beat Nuts prominently used Wonder Woman, The Secret of the Magic TR, in their track Watch Out Now. Eminem repeatedly used audio from Fantastic Four and Captain America, records that must have been a big part of his youth. Prince Paul also used that comic book format on De La Soul is Dead record, complete with audio cues and when to turn the page on the included comic strip. Modern rap is riddled with snippets of power record samples, ensuring that they will never die. And though anachronistic kids records may have gone the way of Peter Pan records, outgrown their relevance or usefulness, the kids now just turn on and stream, they are lost to Netflix and YouTube videos peddling branded characters and toys in Sirius Radio with its ceaseless piping, annoyingly cloying Disney songs. A virtual world of entertainment. The records we played as kids seeded our love affair. Music used to be an active process. Music was something you did, something you felt. You controlled it, you studied it, you listened to it, not just simply heard it. So check those bottom crates or find your collections from when you were a kid. You might be surprised. There might be a boy or girl in your life who is ready to discover vinyl records the same way we did. Which records of Peter Pan or any of the kids' records, whether they're part of what we talked about or not, do you do you still have? I don't have any. I mean, I may have some at my dad's house. I would assume he still has that Peter and the Wolf. I had a ton of them. At least I remember having a ton of them. But as I went to like college and stuff and kind of raided his record collection, I probably just looked right past them. I don't know. You know, it's something I need to probably go, when I go back home, I probably need to check out, see what I can find. Um, when we were in Tampa, I picked up some kids' records, a Disney kids' record. And now when uh, when we go to Record Store Day, I take Max, my oldest son, and there often are now kids' records. Like, we got a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle 7-inch, you know, there. so hopefully that'll sort of make a comeback. And he loves going in and looking at them and colored vinyl and, you know, nice pictures. It's... he. He gravitates towards it. He likes it. I think it's something that definitely can be done and it can be done again well. And I mean, it's they're, they're fun things, you know, and they're good things. And I think for as much crazy stuff that record labels are doing now, they probably ought to think, like, how can we expand out and kind of do fun things for the kids? Did I tell you the story about I was going to record store day one time and I took my daughter Harper and I was grabbing my stuff and she saw a... <laughs> It's embarrassing. It was a picture disc of the soundtrack for the, uh, what was the first new Star Trek? A Force Awakens. It was a Force Awakens sound. That was Star Wars. Don't, don't yeah. confuse them. So anyways, <laughs> so I got Nimoy on the brain. Um, yeah, so it was a, a Star Wars Force Awakens picture disc 10-inch that was very, very expensive. <laughs> she really <laughs> wanted it, and I didn't... I mean, it's the first time she ever expressed any interest in buying records. Now she she there's records she has that she likes to play, but so I you know I said no, but yeah, it, it worked that day. So I'm a proud owner of uh, the Force Awakens soundtrack single on picture disc. Okay, uh, I think if we're ready, it's time to go play some songs for the folks. I'm going to go first, and I'm going to play a song that is 
allegedly by a woman named Marsha G, and the song is called Peanut Duck. That was Peanut Duck by Marsha G. The song itself is sort of a mystery. This was It was recorded in 1965, but it was shelved and was just never officially released at the time. And in 1980, a DJ in England somehow stumbled upon the acetate and released it unofficially. It's credited to a Marsha G, but there is no Marsha G. There's no record of who sings on it or who plays on it, and no one has yet come forward to claim any legitimate credit on it, whether they're embarrassed by it or they just don't know anything about it or they're just not around anymore. Eventually, Rhino released an official version and had this as its liner notes for the song. At Virtue Sound Studios in Philadelphia, a mystery girl singer cut Peanut Duck, a feverish soul stomper that trailed the locomotion mashed potato twist trend, but the track was never released, and Marsha G. was not the actual singer. The only proof of Peanut Duck lay in an acetate discovered by a British Northern Soul DJ who took the disc back to England and released it as a bootleg on Joker Records in the 80s. Not wanting his rival DJs to infringe upon his precious find, he christened the unknown singer Marsha G., 
who incidentally had a single out on Uptown Records in 1965. The true voice behind Peanut Duck has yet to be revealed. It's a mystery, it's a wonderful song, and it, the end of it makes for a great ringtone. <laughs> I've been waiting for you to play that song since we started this podcast. I can't believe it's taken you 30 episodes or whatever we're at. To <laughs> yeah. Such a good song. Okay. Um, I do. We should just do that four times. <laughs> I do know the name of the person who did this song. This is Maureen Tucker with Hamersh. Life in Exile After Abdication, 1989, on 50 Skidillion Watts. So Maureen Tucker was a trailblazer in the 1960s, but 
In the 1980s, she was in her 40s raising kids on her own and scraping away at a job at Walmart in rural South Georgia, which just happens to be where I live. Who knew that she had an amazing album left in her? But she did. After a simple but charming solo album, and then she uh, guest drummed and sang on an EP with half-Japanese's Jade Fair, uh, that, that was called Mo Jade Kate Berry, Tucker signed on to release a, uh, uh, a record on Pendulette's 50 Skadillion Watts label, and she brought the thunder. Coming into her own as a performer and a songwriter, equally drawing on girl groups and early rock and roll influences, as well as her avant-garde Velvet Underground roots, the record is a who's who of rock guests. Um, Lou Reed, Sonic Youth, Jade Fair, Daniel Johnston, Don Fleming. And the songs are interesting. They're about real situations. Being a single mother, working a shit job, paying taxes, probably, which would be the roots of her tea party uh, leanings later in life. Reflections on old friends. It is a very effectual album with her sweet vocals and awesome drumming and surprisingly good guitar playing. So Hey Mersh was a fantastic rave-up opener, and it's actually dedicated to Sterling Wife's Morris and Martha, and it features lyrics about diners and shopping and jukeboxes. Lou Reed's uh, playing squealing guitar, and uh, Moe's providing the Bo Diddley beat. It was also released as a single as well on the album. Uh, after the album, Jade Fair convinced Moe to quit her $10,000 a year job at Walmart because she could make more money, and she did. She released several more records and eventually played with VU in that early 90s reunion. She's since stepped away from the limelight, but we are happy to have some of the fantastic music that she left behind. I think the album before this was the closest there had ever been to a Velvet Underground reunion because she had she had John Cale, Lou Reed, and Sterling Morrison playing on it, all on different tracks, but all four of them were on the same album. Yeah, that's pretty cool. All right, my next song is an absolute classic in our friend group, but I was talking to Joe and I said, I don't know how many other people know about the song. I'm sure, I mean, I'm, I'm sure many people know about it, but if you don't know about it, you need to know about it. So that's why I'm going to play it. This is Handsome Family with Drunk by Noon.
So that was a handsome family uh, with Drunk by Noon off Milk and Scissors, which was on Carrot Top Records in 1996. Like I said, I don't know why we would have a podcast if we didn't at least try to spread the word about the song, because it is maybe the best song ever written. I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> so it's the uh, country, the modern country duo of Rennie and Brett Sparks. Uh, Rennie writes the lyrics and Brett writes the music, and they're a stalwart of my musical taste, and I kind of forget that they're still relatively unknown, uh, with the exception of one of their songs, which is Far From Any Road, which became the theme for season one of HBO's True Detective, and kind of put them into a, a weird spotlight where lots of people all of a sudden at least knew about that song. That song is great, but their album's um, since the beginning, have been amazingly, consistently fantastic. And they have some of the best songs with the absolute best lyrics. Drunk by Noon is probably the best out of those. I have it on a single that was released a decade after the original album, and it's one of my, I think, it was either Joe or maybe Matthew, one of you guys, maybe both of you guys, got it for me. So it's one of my... So it was Matthew purchased it and i delivered it okay well thank you both of you because it's one of my most treasured 45 one of my most treasured records just because i love that song i think the lyrics on that song are 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 second to none Uh, it's been covered a couple times i think sally tim's covered it and that's also worth seeking out um she's great so i don't know like i said I, i feel like i would be doing a disservice to humanity if i didn't use this podcast to at least play the song once yeah, and if you need to buy a record from them, and you should, you should absolutely go buy a record from them, just buy it from them. They'll sign it for you. They'll send it from from their home and I think, Albuquerque. They're very, I've emailed them a couple times for buying stuff. They're just very sweet people, very down-to-earth, and, and like I said, it's just great, great stuff. The last song for tonight, before we finish up trivia, is by Bill Anderson, and the song is called Cocktails. Every morning, one with a buddy at noon, one for the road every evening, till I found out pretty soon, it took two to wake me up every morning, two with my buddy at noon, two for the road every evening, till guess what happened? Cocktails tore up my family. Cock- 
And I lied, swallowed my pride And then washed it down with cocktails I had a house on a hillside The car I was driving was new I had money in my pockets Look what liquor led me to I started running round with a woman Turned my back on my wife and my kids Wonder how mama's gonna tell them The awful thing that daddy did Cocktails tore up my family Cocktails tore down my home I cheated and I lied Swallowed my pride And then Washed it down With cocktails Cocktails tore up my family Okay, that was Bill Anderson with a song called Cocktails from 1965 on Decca Records from his album Bright Lights and Country Music. Bill Anderson, unlike a lot of the other country singers who sing about drinking in a much more heroic fashion, he's he's trying to tell you the the bad side of drinking. He's pretty straight-laced, you could tell by looking at his at the album covers he has, while others, like Porter Wagner, were wearing nudie suits and kind of looking awesome. He was wearing very straight straight-laced Jim and Tammy Faye Baker suits, and just, he was he was a weird guy. This song tells what happens if you drink too much. You're going to lose your wife, your family in general. You're not going to have any friends. You're going to be a loser, so don't drink. He's wrong, but the cocktail, but the cocktail song is great. <laughs> That's another song I've been waiting for you to play on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I actually didn't even know about this song until Robbie Folks released an album in 2001 called 13 Hillbilly Giants in which he covered it. And then I saw he plays it live. I think he, well, he used to at least. I haven't seen him in a while. And it, I just love it. Both versions are wonderful. Let's finish up some audio trivia. Let's do it. Can you play them for me one more time? Yeah, we're going to go through. And again, what I'm looking for is the artist, the title, and then after you hear them all, if you think about the albums, is there, what is the connection between them? Okay, here we go. Track one.
you got? All right. Uh, the first track is the track I don't know anything about. Um, Somebody to Love, maybe the name of the song? I have no clue. I don't know. This might be, well, probably not. This is at least one of the two most successful songs of the five here. It's Matthew Sweet with Girlfriend. Oh, gosh. Okay, okay. Yeah. Right. From his album of the same name, Girlfriend. Yeah, I've heard that. I should have got that. But anyways, the second song is a great song. It is My Favorite Dress by The Wedding Present. Correct. Off of okay. George Best. Off George Best. All right, so you got Girlfriend, George Best. All right, uh, the third song, I think it's Paul McCartney and Wings. I don't know the name of the song. It is. Do you know the album? Mm, no. Okay. The song is called 1985, and the album, it's off of Band on the Run. Okay. Okay. All right. So we got Band on the Run, George Best, and Girlfriend. Okay. Third song is See Emily Play by David Bowie, and that's off Pinups. Yes. Perfect. Okay. Well, then the fifth song, <laughs> it's the softball. It's Day of the Life. Um, by the Beatles, which is off Sgt. Pepper's. Which is getting a lot of mention these last three shows. Yeah. I didn't even realize it. Yeah, it's like it's a big album or something. Okay. Okay. So now we have we have the artist, we have the song, and you know which album each of them okay. would be. What do you think the so song is? Let's see. Let me, let me go through the albums. Girlfriend by Matthew Sweet, George Best, Band on the Run, Pinups, and Sgt. Pepper's. Does it have something to do with the cover? It does. Does it have a model on the cover of each one? No, George Best just has that soccer player. Um, mm-hmm. Does it have a famous person on the cover of all of them? They each have at least one famous person on the cover. Okay, So cool. Girlfriend has Tuesday Weld. Uh, George Best has George Best. Paul McCartney and Wings has James Coburn and Christopher Lee. David Bowie's Pinups has Twiggy. And the Beatles... Sergeant Pepper has like 50 people on it. Lots of people. Very good. They kind of backed my way into that. Yeah, it was, I, I was, don't know how you did that. Good job. I don't know how I did it either. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, even a broke clock's right twice a day. All right. Um, Depends on how it's broken. <laughs> I think we've had that conversation. Very good. Well, go out and buy some records. As always, we want you to support the people who make music bring you music, produce music, sell you music. If you can, uh, just thinking about this with the Handsome family, if you can, buy from the artist directly. It's probably the best way they make money. And it's also just a very cool thing to know that the person that made that music was sending it to you. Um, I think especially with newer bands and, and younger bands, that's something you can do. But whatever you do, just uh, go out and spend some money on, on music. Uh, we appreciate all of you listening. But we definitely want to point you in the band of, or point you in the direction of bands and musicians who are worthy of your cash. Definitely, and find us on Facebook, like our page, join conversations that we're having. Find us on Twitter. Our handle there is Highway Hi-Fi Pod. Email us if you want to Highway Hi-Fi Podcast at gmail.com. And it's really important. I I hate saying this, but it's very important if you could please go to iTunes and rate us. More people will see it. The more ratings we get, it just it'll it'll just help bring shine a little light on on this little corner of the podcast world. Yeah. Anyways, please rate us and and 
tell your friends. You guys have been do- great about doing that. And we've been noticing more people have been listening on our statistics and stuff like that. So we appreciate everybody who's listened and shared about the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Let us know if there are any topics you want us to cover or if you want to present a topic to us that you want to cover. We'd love it. You could even join in on creating a quiz. Well, we appreciate everybody, and we will see you next time. If a wolf should come along, then what would you do? He took Peter by the hand, led him back to the garden, and closed the gate. Suddenly, a hungry wolf did appear in the forest. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.